The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who once was an observer, and now became my co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airwaves. On this week's episode, with the holidays coming, or having arrived now, we are going to have only Fringe in our normal section, but we'll make up for it with another Airwaves Rundown section featuring our brief thoughts on the finale of Homeland, Simpsons, and a two-part How I Met Your Mother mid-season finale, and also a double dose of Burn Notice. But for even more reviews and information on all of our favorite shows, check out the blogs available on our website at acrosstheairwaves.com. Yes. But before we get into all of that, we've got a big edition of News with Nico, I think, with some big renewal news about next season. Indeed. How I Met Your Mother renewed for ninth season after Jason Siegel's 11th hour reversal. Wow. Not so fast, Ted Mosby. The love of your life is probably another year and a half away. Deadline is reporting that after intense negotiations between CBS, the show's studio, 20th Century Fox, and the stars, How I Met Your Mother will indeed be returning for season nine. After what is being described as a last-minute change of heart by How I Met Your Mother regular Jason Siegel, CBS, 20th Century Fox TV, series creator Carter Bays and Craig Thomas, and the entire cast have reached a deal for the sitcom to return for that ninth season. It had previously been reported that Jason Siegel was the most reluctant to return for another season, and with everyone's contract up, Deadline says the actor was initially intent on not signing for another year. Creators Craig Thomas and Carter Bays had said they would not continue the show without the entire cast, and now Deadline is reporting that that was the case, that the show was literally dead until Siegel had a last-minute change of heart and agreed to sign for one more year, along with his co-stars Josh Radner, Kobe Smulders, Neil Patrick Harris, and Allison Hannigan for what is being called the final season. Okay, what I think they should do, I think the final 13, if it is the final 13, should be how the rest of the group accepts the character that's essentially supposed to be the mother. Or explain to us how she is the one. I know who's going to disagree with me on that, but that's what I think they should do. See, I'm I'm more in the in the what I think Wu's thoughts are, and being in the last couple episodes, they go through all of that rather than the okay. whole season. Because I think because I just with, feel it's gonna it's gonna just drag it out too long. Yeah, you, you said there was I, weak episodes. There are there have been definitely weak episodes, but I think if they much like Chuck. Yeah. The last season of Chuck, every single one of those episodes was pretty rock solid. And they right. knew, you know, and so I think if they know, I don't, they haven't announced it's going to be a 13. I think it's actually going to be a 22. But okay. uh, I, last year I was, or last week I was saying I thought it should be a 13. Well, I think so too. Yeah, just so that they have that to really 
hit every single one very hard. But if it's a 22, there are going to be a couple weak ones in there. But if it's 13, they know they have 13. They know what they have to get through. And every single one of those will be should be rock solid. And I think that would be the best way to go. But I think for selling purposes, they're going to want the full 22. Or CBS is going to want the full 22. Okay. The Walking Dead renewed for season four. Showrunner Glenn Mazzara leaves series over difference of opinion. It's no shock that The Walking Dead has officially been renewed for season four. In fact, given what a huge hit it is, it's odd it took so long for AMC to make it official. But there was a big surprise in the press release AMC just put out announcing the renewal. Executive producer slash showrunner Glenn Mazzara is leaving the series. Mazzara, of course, replaced original showrunner Frank Darabont in what was a widely publicized shakeup behind the scenes of the series. Both parties acknowledged that there is a difference of opinion about where the show should go moving forward. Forward and concluded that it is best to part ways. This decision is amicable and Glenn will remain on for post-production of Series 3B, or the second half of third series, as showrunner and executive producer. Walking Dead will be a part of the Across the Airways rundown section of ATA going forward when it returns in February 2013. So look for it then. Yeah. And what I have to say about this is every time the show has changed showrunners, it's improved. So I have a good friend of mine who's under the theory that this is just an improvement decision for the show. It could quite possibly be that. I know I know it was great under Darabon, and I know it was even better, as you just yeah. said, under Mazera. Mazera. Yeah, Mazera. So yeah, it, whoever comes in next is, is probably – it's such great source material that it's hard <laughs> for it not yes. to be great. You know? So exactly. yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it could very well be for the better of the show. Yeah. USA renews Psych for Season 8. Good news for Psych fans. The wait for Season 7 may have felt like an eternity and a half. We still have two more months until its premiere. But the show has already been picked up for a Season 8. Season 8 will be eight episodes, though. And that's per Linhart's newest tweet, which does nothing but fuel speculation that the show will end with the shortened Season 8. When additional details come out, how long the season will be, if it will be the show's last year, etc., we'll be sure to let you know here on ATA. That's very odd that it's eight episodes. It is super short. Yeah, but, it's, yeah, it's like there's like a final arc or something. It, it's That's what probably it sounds like. exactly. It's probably just enough to be that final arc. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know where that's going to go. Um, I think USA is gearing up for a turnaround where they're beefing themselves up with a lot of big new shows. There's something coming out. It, I want. I want to call it Southland, but that's not it because that's another show. Right. But there, there is a new show coming out that they're really hyping. Um, that I think is is designed to be a replace for I want to say Bird Notice. Okay. So what I feel like they're trying to do right now is bring in these new big shows. Hopefully they'll work out, and then they're going to pass the torch out of those shows and wrap things up with Psych and Bird Notice with the season eight. Because I think that's as long as those shows could go before they start feeling tired. Okay. So I think that's what USA is trying to do. In our final story, Nielsen takes to Twitter. The Nielsen Company and Twitter announced today a multi-year partnership to establish the, quote, Nielsen Twitter TV rating, which will deliver a syndicated standard metric based on Twitter TV chatter. 
This new agreement is currently slated for the start of fall 2013 television season in the U.S. markets. Over the last couple of years, Twitter has become a staple component in promoting TV shows, with advertisements and hashtags incorporated into the shows themselves. The Nielsen Twitter TV rating will further complement that initiative, offering TV networks and advertisers a better understanding of TV viewers' social activity. Could this be the way Nielsen fixes its rating systems to be more compatible with new media and new ways that people consume media or will this be a complete flop i guess only time will tell but for more information check out the entire article on our facebook and twitter feeds and if any of our listeners tweet the neighbors we are going to have a problem <laughs> yeah well i mean everybody can watch whatever they want but that that show's just terrible Un- untweet the neighbors if you can untweet yeah. do that because Yikes! But uh, this 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 is an interesting thing. I wish they would have come out with this like about three years ago, because maybe Fringe would still be on. Agreed. Because that that's a big tweet thing. So and they they've even done like tweet marketing with Fringe, where they have special sayings for every episode. Yeah, yeah. So, Those are actually pretty cool, and it allows it does really get people talking and interacting yeah. on the show, and that that's always good, always good, and. It, I think that this could be – when I saw this, I thought, wow, Nielsen is actually doing something that's going to possibly improve their system. Yep. But whether or not it actually works and whether it actually becomes part of their rating system <laughs> and whether people actually pay attention to this is yet to be seen. But it's going to be interesting in the fall of 2013 to see how this works. And I can it, also it, see it getting abused as well. Oh, very much so. <laughs> there's always a potential for abuse. But there's also a pen- potential for abuse in the, in the traditional Nielsen system of people just leaving their TV on to their favorite network even though they're not watching the TV, which yeah. – yeah. It goes against the terms of service as a Nielsen family, but people do it. We we know that. Yeah. You know, it's been reported. But you know, every step in improving the system is, I I think, a good step because it'll. Yeah. You know, and we'll keep you updated on that. I guess if we can. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the news with Nico for this week. And with that mention of Fringe, I think it's time to talk to about a Fringe episode that was very very revealing at the end. Very much so. Yes. And that was the 10th episode, Anomaly XB67837476. Yes. The team joins forces with Nina to recover a key piece of the plan that Walter created to defeat the Observers. Rather than being titled Anomaly XB67837476, this episode could just as easily have been titled Nina Sharp is a Badass. Yes. Besides the revelation that Donald was September before he became an observer, which was huge, don't get me wrong, we'll talk about that in a minute, but essentially Nina Sharp stole the show. Okay, that's the way to to take a character out of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Nina Sharp has consistently been one of my favorite fringe supporting characters. She's smart, she's savvy, and oftentimes in those early seasons, we just couldn't tell whether we could trust her. Blair Brown almost always portrays the character perfectly, and only really John Noble can match her consistency and gravitas. Though Joshua Jackson is just as brilliant, but in his own way. For all of these reasons and more, I'm glad we were given one last chance to have Nina impact the fringe lore in a big, big way. And man, was it badass. Yes. As I said, Nina kind of stole the show. 
And I'm thankful for that because much of this episode moved along at an adequate but somewhat frustratingly slow pace for this late in the series. As a casual observer, yeah, that pun was intended. Yes. You wouldn't get the sense that this was a pivotal episode leading up to the end of the series. Things happened in the early parts of this story, but the events didn't leave a particularly strong impression in our minds. Quite a bit of time was spent watching Winmark poke and prod people for information in his trademark manner, just like he did with Walter earlier in the season. But Winmark's interrogations all have the same flavor, and there's a level of diminishing returns in watching him do it over and over and over again. Yes, Peter, Olivia, and Astrid were in the episode, as always, but they seemed fairly subdued and they were not nearly as much of an active participant as they usually are in these episodes. They provided flavor and necessary plot devices in this episode, but they didn't stand out. Astrid's key moment in the story is just circumventing a locked door remotely. Really, she was she couldn't it just as easily not have been in this episode. So having Nina steal the show by standing up to Winmark in that amazing scene and then making the ultimate sacrifice to protect essentially her adopted daughter Olivia and the plan was exactly what was needed in this episode, especially in a season that could easily be accused of underutilizing its supporting cast of characters. So Dan, how awesome was Nina in this episode? Did you feel it gave her a fitting send-off for such a great and in my opinion one of the best supporting characters of this great show? Well, I know people have issues with the timeline changing at the beginning of season four with Peter B. erased from existence and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the best thing that came out of that was Nina being more of like a mother figure to Olivia. And that paid off beautifully here. This scene would have not have worked with the episode where she sacrifices herself without that change. And they played it beautifully. Yes. Got the speech she gave about the observers, got the comparison to lizards, got how their heads even turned, yep. mimicking lizards. That was outstanding. That made it, it was just so perfect. And it also made the observers more realistic in my book. They weren't some like fantasy character that didn't exist because they carried the traits of something that is real lizards. So that made sense. God, there is kind of a similarity to the observers of the dinosaurs, too, if you think about it a little bit. And so I like that connection, and I liked what she said and what she stood for. The only thing of it here is, I feel like this is going to send Walter to a dark place. Because last week, she was kind of the angel, got his shoulder where the assistant was the devil. True. Okay, so now the angel's gone. So what does that do to Walter? Exactly. So that's where I'm at now. But the yeah. Nina stuff was excellent, and God, it, it had to happen. I know it was heartbreaking stuff, but it had to happen. And again, as you said, Winmark's interrogations were getting old. Right. Okay, so we needed to have him be responsible for a death. I know he didn't cause it here, but, you know, still, that, that moment was a driving force to make you hate him as a villain, which you exactly. need to. Exactly. But Nina wasn't the only character of importance this week. There was Walter in his gradual metamorphosis to mean old Walter, the prideful and callous scientist that caused so much trouble in the past before ultimately deciding to remove parts of his brain to remove those negative aspects of his personality. John Noble, as always, does a fantastic job portraying a character whose mind is ever shifting and rearranging itself as two personalities fight for dominance. I loved how Peter has, obviously, noticed the changes in Walter and is consciously trying to keep him in check by chastising him when he is cruel or insensitive. It's great to see Peter embrace his role or this role now that the Observer tech has been removed. 
However, this probably was not enough to carry a whole episode by itself. In fact, it was only after Nina's death that we saw our Walter reemerge and show any true emotion in this episode, thus emphasizing my very first point that Nina stole the show. So, Dan, what did you like about Walter's performance this week? Did you enjoy the Walter-Peter interactions this week? And can you expound upon what you saw in their relationship or where it could be headed? Well, I think I liked John Noble playing the back and forth. Yes. They went back and forth between them at several points in the episode, and I liked that. God, I'm glad we still were able to keep Walter's humor in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though they kind of like went back and forth between Kim being the callous scientist and you know his regular goofy self. So that was good there. The other thing is, I thought a big part of not being able to connect with Michael was because Walter wasn't his goofy self. Because remember how they connected with him in the it's it's one of the most classic, more humorous Walter scenes, and that's and that's him putting on that hat and dancing around the room. Right. To make Michael feel more comfortable. And that wasn't there. He, he didn't know to do that or think of that idea. So that was an interesting point to say that he was losing himself as well. So right. the parallels between that episode and this one really shows it as well. Because I think that was one of the first real, with when Michael was first introduced, was one of the first real strong episodes of Fridge. I mean, the show was good, but that was one of the episodes where I really warmed up to it because that was one of those scenes where I just loved Walter in it. His interaction with the kid and Olivia's interaction with the kid really was something that made the show grow on me. So it's cool the final season to go back to those themes and those ideas. And I thought that was going to play a bigger part of the episode than it did. But they went with killing off Nina. The way they did that was beautiful, too. So I'm okay that they did play that up more. Yeah. Okay. Now let's return to the Donald slash September revelation that was made this week. We first learned that I was correct in my assumption last week that Michael, the observer child slash anomaly, is indeed an anomaly that allowed for him to be born with observer abilities without the need for tech, which obviously scares the observers who intended to put him to death immediately. But he disappeared. Ostensibly, we can assume that September had something to do with it, returning him to our time to keep him safe from the future observers. In this episode, Michael interrupts his and Walter's halo hookup to remove the device and walk over to touch Walter's face, as he did with Nina earlier, triggering a greatest hits montage of Walter's life that, much like last week's projections on the wall, I thought was brilliantly done to give us loads of information very quickly and succinctly. Within the flurry of images, we see Walter interact with this mysterious Donald, who, minus hair and a smile, we discover is September, the observer who has helped our team on many occasions, starting with when he saved young alternate Peter from drowning back in the very beginning at Reardon Lake. But why and how and when did he at one time look like the rest of us as Donald? My thoughts are that Walter was given observer tech from September before he died and told him to make sure that Donald inserted it in himself and thus he fulfilled the plan that they had come up with in much like a john reese sending his father kyle reese back to impregnate his mother knowing who he was and his importance september set up a plan with walter that would turn donald september's human form before becoming an observer into the good observer he was thus much like terminator he perpetuated his own creation so, Dan, do you understand my theory about Donald September? Do you agree or do you Whoa. have a different idea of how it all happens and works? And do you have any further thoughts that maybe can extend that or go, you know, okay. even more about Revelation? Because here is my thought here. That's crazy and that's really different. I interpret it as completely different. 
Okay. Which is fun. I mean, that's just fridge for you. Mm-hmm. I thought what it was is in the season four finale, in that last scene where we see September come down and say, they're coming, let me help you stop them. Yeah. I thought he stayed with Dr. Bishop after that and took the tech out of his head and became Donald. Ah. That's what I thought happened. Another great uh, thought. Yes. <laughs> So I so, thought it was the opposite. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but your way works too. I was wow. thinking Terminator. <laughs> oh, that's very possible. Yeah. And this still could work that way. And then the other thing is Michael is not September though, right? No. Okay. So that's separate. Because for a second there, I had to go back and rewatch it. I thought that maybe Michael was Donald and September. That all three of them were the same person. And it was some weird time travel warp thing. But yeah. That, I that's mean, too confusing. I don't I'm know how not it saying all that that's not a possibility, but that's not the way it seems <laughs> at this moment. See, I'm going to miss this. Yeah. I'm going to miss this stuff. There's no show on this podcast that makes us debate stuff more than this. And the problem is, if either one of us is wrong, it's okay. Yeah, because r- regardless, it's going to be better than what we could even come up yes. with. Because sometimes I feel like when we get debates on, on the other shows we talk about, it's either one of us is like completely off and that's just not good for the show. Right. You know, it's like there's a wrong answer. But with these, it's it's there's no wrong answer. And I love it. And and I just thought that was great. God, really, we needed this really bad. I thought this first half of the season was missing a good solid debate such as this one. Yeah, I agree. And it's about our time we had this. Because I did. I felt like we were lacking on our, our debates that we normally got with Fridge. Especially after last season with the whole, is this the timeline or is this not the timeline <laughs> right. business that we went back and forth on every other week. So, uh, yeah, I, I I was impressed by this. I really liked it. Because Donald had to be somebody important that had a significance. Oh, absolutely. And so it's, if it's September, hey, that's perfect. It is. It is. It's better than I could have thought. I, I'm still a little in the dark on, can I think they'll explain it, on Michael's importance and how Michael exists. Yeah. Like, who is he? Because it's almost like it's almost like he has to be September's son. Like, September as Donald fell in love and had a son. That's, that's a cool idea. I like that. But another thought is that I think observers don't procreate in the same way that humans do. I think they do. They use genetic, you know, they just use test tube babies. And then they grow them in, like, essentially pods or something. And so they are genetically enhanced so that they'll work with the tech and everything like that. And he came out and he was an anomaly. He his tech worked even though he wasn't implanted, you know, so he had the abilities or, you know, he had extra abilities that weren't. So then he became he was going to be put to death, as they said, as all anomalies happen or as they do with all anomalies, they he would have been eradicated. It's just so, hard for me to imagine the observers to make a mistake. Well, it's not it's not really a mistake. It's that it natural mutation. So like mutations happen every second. Every second in our bodies, our DNA mutates. It's just that we have repair enzymes that make sure that any repairs or any things that happen can be undone. But not always does it get undone. You know, I mean, sometimes it, it's a good m- mutation. Sometimes it's a bad. That's how ultimately all species evolve and is one mutation is better suited than another and that person 
survives better than the, the person who doesn't have the mutation or they survive it worse and they die out and that mutation doesn't you know isn't around anymore so you know that's how evolution works so in this case michael had a mutation that uh, gave him abilities without the tech that would have normally been a an advancement but the people right. the observers didn't want that to happen so they artificially would have eliminated that from existence. But and that's September, the point Nina was making with her speech. Yes. Yeah. But September saw it as an evolution or a good thing. And maybe that's what initially caused September to go from being a normal observer to a good observer. And so like – And he would be open to that because of his um, idolization of Dr. Bishop. Right. Okay. And so – yeah. And so uh, makes sense. September saves Michael – and takes him back in time to hide him from the other observers. And I think maybe, and he, he wanted him in contact with the fringe team because he knew he'd be safe with them as well. Well, ultimately, as things progressed in the observer timeline going forward and backwards in the human timeline or, you know, back to the beginning of our seeing fringe, yeah. he needed to make a plan with with Walter. And ultimately, I think saving Peter and Michael yeah. were two parts of this plan to ultimately change the future because he saw the the right. evil that the observers had become and so that is it's all going to be it's all going to come full circle i think in and, that family. but i feel like that you also have to bring in the the whole thing with the parallel realities has to have an importance too i think that it will i think they will bring that in because the peter that ultimately saves this world was from the other side. Okay. So we're going to see that, that all bring, brought together. So it's, yes, the two people from both sides coming together to save the world. Exactly. Okay, that, that's, that fits it well. And then the fact that they're bringing in all this time travel stuff means that your theory about it all getting reset, that that is okay, and essentially everybody's okay, could still happen. I think so. I think that that is a very very possible i think that that makes the most sense in my mind of where they are going now and and nina essentially could not be might not be dead in the end either oh no absolutely she would right because the observers never came back it'll jump but the other thing is that it'll jump back to the end of season four it it could go could even go back to before the timeline change okay so end of season three okay so yeah I mean, it may be that Nina is not Olivia's adoptive mother anymore, but I think for all of us, it would be a better story if it went back to the end of season four. Well, yeah. Well, and, and Olivia still might be able to retain, they might retain memories of everything. Right. Olivia's special, so she might. And Peter's yeah. from the other side and out. he's outside the timeline. So maybe, maybe they will they will retain their memories. But I think that that would be difficult to do in a finale, you know, because unless you just assume that what happened the last time where everybody believed them and everybody came to understand them or understand what they were saying was true. But ultimately, I think it's it's more convincing if everybody just shows up and it's like the end of season four. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just the end of season four, everyone showed up. You know, they, they just realized, oh, we went on an adventure kind of thing. Could just end it at that if they remember anything from what happened before. Yeah. All right. So finally, Nina's last scene, as I've said a couple times already, truly was the best part of the episode. Oh, yeah. The- this wandering story with the team's attempts to communicate with Michael was was adequate, but the story surrounding Nina elevated this episode to a great episode. That was the main part of the episode. That's what they focused on the most. 
Absolutely. It was through Nina that we see Michael's only display of emotion. It is through Nina's sacrifice that we get that great emotional scene with Walter this week, as well as Michael's moment with Walter where the big mystery is revealed and we see September, a.k.a. Donald, with hair. Everything is coming together nicely in these last few episodes, but Nina Sharp seemed to be the glue that kept the pieces in place. So all I can say is farewell, Nina Sharp. Maybe we'll see you again in another time or another timeline. Any final thoughts, Dan? I'm thinking that things are really going to ramp up next week. I think so, too. I think I think this is going to feel like a penultimate finale episode. And the last two episodes are going to be one straightforward story. That's okay. what I think is going to happen. That'll be great to see. It'll be interesting to see how things go down, how they stop Winmark. And I would say expect surprises, a return of characters that we might have not seen for a while. Absolutely. I think... Nina got a great send-off in this episode. I think we're going to see Broyles be important in an upcoming episode as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if his cover's blown in in a similar fashion or in a different way. But I, sent- I want to see him go down guns blazing. Oh, absolutely. If he's going to go down. I think I, I, I want to see him know that the final battle's are coming and him to raise up the fringe division against the observers and, yep. and have a, a fringe team or a fringe division going up against the observers and the rebels coming on the other side and, and cause a two-front war for the observers and really just be badass in those last couple episodes. I, I, think, I think it should be, let's go turn the machine back on. <laughs> I get both sides and it'd just be awesome. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool if, they, if we did get to see Lincoln Lee in the finale. Give it Charlie. Charlie. He did the forces. Yes, absolutely. I'd be fired up when we got Charlie one more time. He's the, the great character of the show that I love and unfortunately did, we did get more of. And, and I also the taxi driver, he gets underrated too. Absolutely. He got brushed off. I'd like to see him again. I, I doubt we will see him, but... <laughs> I doubt it too, but it would be awesome. It would be fun. Yeah, I'd be excited. A great callback. Yes, it would. He, he was a significant part of season three. Yeah. So, and, and just throwing Mark A. Shepard as a guest star because <laughs> the sci-fi show he hasn't been on yet. So right. much we'll think we there. Yeah. So I think that covers that. I think a little ridiculous on our theories. Yeah. So I think it's about time to jump into the airwaves rundown section for the week. You're watching CBS. Sci-Fi's home for Mondays. FX. In USA. Characters welcome. ENT. We know trauma. Yeah, it's going to be an abbreviated version this week, as everything is abbreviated. But let's jump into the Sunday shows with Homeland and the second season finale, The Choice. Carrie is faced with a pivotal decision, while Brody meets with Faber to contemplate the future of the family. Meanwhile, Saul undertakes a secret assignment, and Quinn has a decision to make that may prove to be a game-changer. Well, it looks as if my insane theory from last week was wrong. Or was it? Oh, boy. Let's get right to the heart of the episode, shall we? Did Brody blow up the CIA building, taking out the VP's wife, awful kid Finn, and that bastard Estes, and at least a couple hundred other CIA and government folks? A strong argument can be made either way. Yeah, 
Carrie was the one who suggested they leave Walden's memorial right yeah. before the bomb went off. But Brody would have been willing to die for the cause anyway if he was still one of Nazir's disciples at heart, right? He did tell Mike over Rolling Rocks that he was not in a position to care for his family right now. And let's not forget the faces he made up in the office when Carrie so joyfully announced she had chosen him, which was seconds before the bomb blew up. <laughs> All signs that he could have been that handy the attack then again he does seem genuinely shaken by the situation in particular when his old confession tape shows up out of nowhere and you know the whole plan is so convoluted nazir coming to america so a plot could be foiled so that the vp could be murdered so that nazir could die so that brody could set off a car bomb at the cia come on how could brody not be innocent when you look at it that way the scariest part of the war on terror is not knowing whether the terror is coming from some desert mountain cave in Afghanistan or if it's coming from your neighbor's house. When there's an obvious target like Nazir or an Osama bin Laden, the focus becomes narrow. It simplifies things down to, he's our guy, let's hunt him down and kill him. When the threat is unknown, everyone, even those we think we know, can be a suspect. Homeland moved back towards what made it so great in season one with tonight's season two finale, The Choice, a satisfying, jarring, and uneasy hour of television. And I'm not just saying that because the horrible opening credits were, in were not included for the first time, but omitting the credits signals a greater goal for the episode other than avoiding starting off on the wrong foot. To me, the new feel of the beginning and the end of the episode was a sign that the show is ready to redefine itself for season three and leave the past behind. That's probably but, a good thing. But even with all the justified talk of ridiculousness in recent episodes, Homeland has been anything but boring. And we all know season two would not go quietly into the night. A bomb tore through the CIA headquarters at Langley, shredding more than 200 people to bits and kicking us all in the groin again when we least expected it. Most importantly, it dumped a whole bucket of gasoline over the metaphorical flame of uncertainty and paranoia that makes Homeland so damn good. In any event, the show has certainly chosen sides in terms of the ongoing debate that critics and fans, and especially myself, have been having over this season. It is clear now that Homeland is not about realism, not even a carefully cultivated TV form of it, and is instead opting for a world where a guy can go from being a Marine, to a prisoner of war, to a sleeper agent, to a congressman, to a vice president killer, to a man on the run, backpacking through Canada, or whatever the hell he is now. That's fine. Now that we know what Homeland really is, I feel better somehow. Less Carrie Matheson crazy, able to separate myself from the insanity. And then there's the Mandy Patinkin's Saul character, who truly is my favorite thing about Homeland. After being locked up for three days, his warm embrace with Carrie soon devolves into them cutting each other deep. He, with his matter-of-fact sentence and questions as he plows through her bullcrap to get to the truth. You're choosing him over us? throwing your life away. Carrie's response about his wife stings badly, but after the attack, none of that matters. The voicemail he leaves for Carrie, who he thinks is dead, is amazing, and Patinkin should win awards for that moment alone. But then he tops it with his monosyllabic response when his wife calls later. She's coming home, but this is what it takes to get them back together. And then, of course, there's Saul's reaction when he sees Carrie's alive, the range of emotions culminating in that crooked smile. What a great shot to end the season on. This show knows so well how to keep us wrapped up in the suspense and action of this show and wanting more. 
Don't be surprised if Homeland comes back even better next year. But there are six things you need to know before then. One, they almost killed off Brody this season. Two, Brody's presence in season three is up in the air. Three, Peter Quinn will be returning. Four, don't expect any more attacks on America for now. Five, it's up to you to decide if Brody was in on the CIA attack or not. They are not going to explicitly talk about it, at least early in the season. And number six, the mole in the CIA is still out there. But we'll have to wait nine months until it returns in 2013 to find out the answers to all six things. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I thought this was a great season. (laughs) This show has become 24, though. I think it's better. I've I've said that from the very beginning. See, now I need to watch. I now need to watch it now. Yep, because it's it's it sounds a lot like it though, especially how Brody's ending up and stuff. But I think that's enough for Homeland. <laughs> it was yeah great, but I think it's time we should probably jump in to our other Sunday night show, The Sim- Simpsons, to cur oh, with boy. with love. When a fire at the retirement home forces Gramps to move back in with the Simpsons, Comer throws out his back on moving day. While resting at home, he gets hooked on the super addictive tablet game, Villagersville. And in his distraction, he loses the family dog, Santa's little helper. Everyone is angry with Homer for not seeming to care about the missing dog. But Grandpa tells them the story of Homer's long-lost childhood pup, Bongo. This week's Simpsons was a fairly interesting episode. While not nearly as great as the Portlandia episode last week, but The Simpsons can still do it a decent episode in its 24th season as evidenced the last two weeks, I'd slot this latest episode in the select batch of what I call weepy episodes. Episodes such as Mother Simpson, Round Springfield, and Lisa's Substitute. In fact, thinking about it, there's a lot of crying from the characters themselves. A nice comment is also mentioned how Homer always seems to cry at anything. We can also chalk this up to another flashback episode as Grandpa reveals yet more past details of Springfield's past. Thankfully, they've done away with the specifically naming a time frame this episode is set in, you know, a la the, that 90s show, and settled for a relatively neutral setting where characters are simply younger. Flashback episodes can be really fun ways of delving into characters' past. Bart even mentions this as he ticks off some unanswered questions left hanging in Simpsons' mythos, such as the origins of Ralph Wiggum's name. Okay, granted, that's not a pressing question on everybody's mind, but it was a funny revelation. Not a hugely funny episode, though, but certainly a good one to watch if you want something that your Family Guys and South Parks really can't do anywhere near as well as The Simpsons has been able to do. Make you feel for these characters in a big way. I'd say this was a solid three and a half out of five. So good episode, not great, but and not as good as last week's Portlandia, which I thought was a five out of five. But really, it was a uh, it was solid. Well, I'm glad that they went for a neutral time period because it's weird to see this show flashback to like the '90s when it was airing in the '90s. Right. You know, it's been on so long that it's tricky to do flashbacks, and it makes sense with the continuity. Right. But it's The Simpsons; they don't really have continuity. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Yeah, All okay. Right. That's enough with Simpsons. So let's move on to our Monday night shows with a great episode of How I Met Your Mother, the mid-season finale entitled The Final Page. Oh, 
Yes, in the epic two-hour mid-season finale for How I Met Your Mother. Robin takes steps to have Patrice fired from WWN, while Marshall puts a jinx on Barney. Later, Ted invites his architecture professor to the dedication of the GNB building. Can Marshall and Lily bump into an oddball acquaintance from college? Last week I said that I was not quite there for wanting another season of How I Met Your Mother, but if this week's mid-season finale would live up to the last two episodes, then I'd be happy with another season. While this week's episode was an excellent two-parter that really cemented the return to quality that I've been advocating the past few weeks, the great moments of your life won't necessarily be the things you do, they'll also be the things that happen to you, Ted Mosey once told us. Continuing, now I'm not saying you can't take action to affect the outcome of your life, you have to take action and you will. How I Met Your Mother's last episode of 2012 showed us that the series is ready to take action, and so is Barney Stinson. How I Met Your Mother finally delivered the proposal it had been teasing since we first saw Robin in her wedding dress, and wow, did the show nail it. After weeks of making us think that Barney had lost it or was overcorrecting, we learned that there was a plan, or more accurately, there was a play. The Robin, the final play in Barney's playbook, the 16th step that would end with the former womanizer down on one knee asking Robin to marry him. The final page was my favorite How I Met Your Mother episode in a long, long time, and the series really redeemed its recent missteps with this episode's final 10 minutes. Seriously, the ending pretty much Toy Story 3 to me. If you're a guy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So for all of those Team Tedwards out there, it's R.I.P. Team Tedward time. Yeah, for Barney Robin shippers, this was the happily ever after that's been in the works for years, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a more syrupy sweet reunion than these two, for these two characters. The Robin was beautifully executed and almost put to rest any previous doubts about where Barney was heading emotionally this season. From his initial speech in Splitsville to the burning of the playbook, every move was a part of his elaborate and slightly diabolical plan to propose to Robin. Heck, even Patrice was in on the play. So as I've said already, I'm 100% back on board with this show and happy with the news that it was renewed this week for a final season 9. So now, it's about time to hear from Wu with this week's voicemail. So take it away, Wu. Hey guys, this is Wu, giving you yet another two cents on how much your mother the great, great episode, last page, or last pages, I don't remember the exact title, it's one of those, last page or last pages. First and foremost, the minor stuff, I really love the casting of Seth Green as Marshall Lily's stalker guy from Wesleyan University. I love that. I love the aspect of bringing actors from the Weedyverse because we know Carter Bays and Craig Thomas are really big Angel fans. That's why they brought out Alexis Denisov. We also know that they watched Buffy and they watched Firefly. Hence the use of Marina Baccarin, Tom Lake, um, Danny Strong was in season six with our mentioned mother. So I really just love all of these familiar Weedy actors that we all know and love from the Wingverse. I really love the whole idea of the jinx being used and how it really shows how Neil Patrick Harris, how diverse of an actor he is, being essentially a mindverse for the first half of the, the two-parter and him not really being able to speak. And he could still be really, really funny and really, really entertaining without the use of actually using his voice. I have to say, and... Maybe this is my just, you know, chauvinistic or not chauvinistic, but self-centeredness, seeing myself a lot in Ted. 
I could really vibe with Ted wanting to show up his old architecture professor, who, who, by the way, if you watch Covert Affairs, the USA Network show, the same guy who plays Ted's university professor also plays, like, the head CIA guy on um, Covert Affairs, and he was also the father on the OC. He was um, Sandy Cohen on the OC, the Fox TV series. Going back to Ted, I really understand the whole idea of putting someone in your pit and putting somebody in your will and not wanting them to wanting them out, wanting to give you validation. The whole idea, the whole idea of that, I thought that was really interesting for everybody. And even the aspect of Patrice and Robin, Robin wanting to terminate Patrice just because her relationship with Barney. And this is another point I wanted to get with. I'm going to try to get through these as quickly as I can. I love the aspect of Marshall and Lily wanting to, like, be a couple, but still realizing their mother and father. I really like that aspect of their relationship. I know because people are probably yelling at their yelling at their Android smartphones and their Windows phones and their Blackberries. Get to the point where we all know what you want to talk about. Yes, Barney and Robin. I love the whole aspect, and you guys were all about on the last podcast, all about talking about bringing old ideas back from previous seasons and dusting them off and putting a fresh spin on them. This is exactly what happened this episode with Barney, with him doing what he did when we originally saw the playbook in uh, season five after he broke up with Robin, to actually have the last page of the playbook be called the Robin, and to actually go back way early in the season when she broke, when Robin broke up with Nick, and knowing that Barney knows Robin well enough to know that the only way he's ever going to prove that he's really truly in love with her and she's the one for him is to go through this huge elaborate scheme. Classic, classic Barney, and totally made sense for, you know, the series and for both characters. And one thing I really have to say, probably my favorite thing in the episode is when everybody is, like, settled in with their life, and everybody's settled in, everybody knows what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Bonnie and Robin want to get married, you know, Lily and Marshall are with Marvin, and I love that shot that Pam Feynman chose to, the director Pam Feynman chose to use with Ted just looking off in the window. That, to me, is what the series has always been about. Everybody's moving on with their life, but here's me all alone, all by myself. All by myself. And he's just really all by himself, and he's wondering, where's my place? Where's my place in the world now that all my friends are getting together? Last thing, and last thing I promise, because this leads into what we just heard at the time I'm recording this, we just heard that High Met Your Mother has been renewed for a ninth season. I've talked about this on the podcast with you guys, and I've talked about this off microphone with Dan and, and my buddy Tim Costello and several other High Met Your Mother fans. If this is the ninth season, if a ninth season would be a go, and now it is, I want this to be the last season. I don't care if it's 13 episodes, I don't care if it's 24, this needs to be the last season. I guess the last holdout was J.C. Siegel, even Carter Bates and Craig Thomas even said he was going to be, 
he would be the big determining factor. And also CBS would be the big determining factor, too, because like it or not, like, and I don't think anybody's mentioned this, I met your mother has had, you know, consistently 8 million, 9 million, 10 million viewers throughout their entire run. And CBS treating this show very much like everybody loves Raymond. They don't want to lose this, like, you know, staple show for Monday night, even if they have to move it to 8.30, which I think they're going to do according to the TV.com article you guys posted. I think the reason that Jason Segel said yes to a season 9, I think, and this is just speculation on my part, because it's not been confirmed, I think it's because he's been, like, you know, reassured that this will be the last season. And I don't know if that name with Kobe Smolders. I can only assume the only reason she's not doing S.H.I.E.L.D. right away is mainly because she's tired and she doesn't want to do, like, and I told this to our mutual friend Annie Papak off microphone, too. Even if she would be available to do S.H.I.E.L.D., I don't think she would want to do S.H.I.E.L.D. right away just because, you know, she'd already been doing one show for almost a decade. She doesn't want to, like, you know, jump right into another show and be a star of another sh- show right coming off of a big show. So that's probably why Siegel and Smolder said yes be- to a ninth season, just because this would be the ninth season. And I've always had theories about what this woman's head is going to meet is going to look like. You know, I've always kind of assumed that it would be like an Emily Van Camp. But anyway, I'll talk to you about that more next week, guys. See you across the airwaves. Happy holidays to all of our listeners. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks, Wu. We appreciate your thoughts again, and we're happy you're here to discuss this stuff with us. So with that, it's time to move on to our last show of the rundown, Thursday night's Burn Notice. Yes, with the epic season finale, you could run. Got Game Change. It was a two-hour season finale. Put together two episodes. My name is Michael Weston. I used to be a spy. Michael thinks hardly about Jason Bly's offer, but Fiona refuses to accept that, and Riley's severe attack causes serious consequences. In the second half, Michael realizes that Riley sent the cartel to assassinate him. In order to eliminate her, the team tries to expose her corruption. Guys, you may have remembered from a few weeks ago, I complained about the two-hour mid-season premiere not reaching its full action-packed potential or scale, since it was basically two individual episodes aired back-to-back. But with this week's two-hour finale, the episodes You Can Run and Game Change was written as one singular story that just kept raising the intensity like a great action movie. In fact, USA seemed to give this finale such a tremendous budget, there were parts of this episode that even looked like an action movie, such as an impressive motorcycle chase through a Miami hospital, and an epic final standoff between Michael and the dreaded Olivia Riley that involved the actual men and women of the U.S. Coast Guard. So kudos to the creators of Bird Notice making a classy gesture towards people who provide their services for our country. Now, with this episode taking the action we expect from Bird Notice to a whole new scale, it could have felt out of place, or way too over the top. But the show maintains its identity, because they went through the greatest hits of Bird Notice action scenes. For example, we had Fiona chucking Maltov cocktails at the bad guys, Stab stepping in at the 11th hour with a bullet wound in his side to save Michael's butt, and using household products to create a gas that knocked out a building full of CIA agents. 
Also, as an added bonus, Michael, Jesse, Fiona, and Sam all got their moments to stick it to Olivia Riley, which earned a standing ovation from me, since I hate the character with the bloody passion, because she deserved to get pwned. As for my predicted fallout between Sam and Michael, I'll openly admit I was wrong on that one, since the two buddies ended up back in a good place with each other. That, but that was not without the first 40 minutes of this show, scaring the crap out of me that it was going to make a grave mistake. But flirting with disaster is sometimes a writer's best friend can make a great television. And it sure felt that way here. Although just because things with Sam and Michael are back to being good doesn't mean we avoided a fallout. As Michael ends up having a huge fallout with Fiona. As it turns out his plan to get out of being branded as a traitor involved getting his old life back. I personally thought Michael trying to get his best friend back would make things difficult on Michael. But losing Fiona instead is that much more complicated. With her paramedic ex-boyfriend appearing in this episode, I think Michael may have to win her back, leading to what I think will be some great material for us to watch next season. Also, expect a portion of next season to spend some focus on the investigation behind the death of Jesse's mother, because it was hinted in this finale that the CIA, or potentially the conspiracy that got Jesse and Michael burned, has something to do with her death, but it might have just been a ploy to add to the intensity of this episode. But I guess we'll have to see on that one. So with that... That's the end of Bird Notice for this year. We'll have to wait till the summer for some more. So with that, we're going to move on to the closing now, Nico. Are you ready to share with everyone what we have on next week's Whovian Christmas? Absolutely. On next week's episode, we are going to have a very special Doctor Who Christmas special episode to cover the Christmas special for this great show. So join us next week for that very special episode. For even more reviews and information on all our favorite shows, however, check out the blogs available on our website at acrosstheairwaves.com. Yes, and also if you want more from Across the Airwaves, feel free to check out our spinoff podcasts. We've got ATA Retro Reviews, hosted by Michael and Wu, which covered TV shows that were canceled or went out on their own terms. We also have the Across the Airwaves BC Nation podcast, which covers episodes of Green Lantern, the animated series, and Young Justice. So we're going to pick up with that when the show's return in the, in the fall of January. We also discuss Smallville Season 11 comic books as a part of that, and we just recently did an interview with Brian Q. Miller, the writer of that comic book, which you can check out. But also, while we're waiting for Young Justice and Green Lantern to return, we are doing commentaries on the DC animated films. So be sure to check that out. Also, we have ATA Logwell Hunters, the Arrow podcast, which covers the episodes of the hit CWTV series Arrow in much more detail than we do in our rundown section. Also, if you'd like, you can contact us to discuss any of the crackpot theories you have about any of the TV shows we cover, or if you want to share your thoughts on those episodes as well. And you can contact us by visiting our website at www.acrosstheairwaves.com. And there you can email us at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Also, you can click the like button on our website to visit our Facebook page. And by accessing our Facebook page, you will get updates on our podcast episode releases. And also be able to follow along the movie and TV news that Nico finds out for us every week. And you can get that same information by following us on Twitter. Get our Twitter is Across Airwaves. There's no the there, it's just across the airways. Or you can join our circle on Google+. Also, if you'd like, you can leave us a voicemail, which Wu so graciously does every week. Okay, what number can you do that, Nico? 773-809-3363. 
All right. And also, we've got a YouTube channel, which features all sorts of previews and promos mm-hmm. for upcoming films, including Man of Steel, Star Trek Into Darkness, um, The Hobbit, which just came out, the James Bond movie Skyfall, and a bunch more stuff as it comes out. So check that out for trailers. Could also, we have a playlist which features all of the DC Nation shorts that are shown during Cartoon Network's programming block. Also, if you'd like, you could download our podcast, Box app, which will let you communicate with our podcast. You can also download our podcast episodes onto your iPad or iPod. And if you're on an Android phone, uh, you can download episodes to your phone as well by downloading our Android app. So check out both of those to get across the airways on your mobile devices. So, once again, for our ATA Arrow podcast host, Michael J. Petty, got Kim, and also for our part-time co-host, Andy Babacht, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Reifstek. And until our next episode, we will catch you on the airwaves. Have a great week, everybody. Have a Merry Christmas. And definitely enjoy that Doctor Who Christmas special when it airs. See you, guys. Melikalikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright, the sun to shine by day and all the stars at night. Melikalikimaka is Hawaii's way to say Merry Christmas to you. Jeffster laughs, man. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.